0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.
1: Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, August 4th. A report finds women politicians are threatened more than men. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A 22-year-old San Diego sailor was arrested by federal agents earlier this week when he showed up for work on the amphibious assault ship Essex. Prosecutors say two sailors had been spying for China. Jin Chao Wei is the San Diego-based sailor, He allegedly sold documents, manuals, photos, and videos pertaining to the Essex and other San Diego ships to a Chinese intelligence officer. Indicators are showing that COVID is on the rise across the county. Cases and hospitalizations were up in July compared to previous months. According to the San Diego Union-Tribune, positive COVID tests have increased by 5% between the end of May and the end of July. The amount of coronavirus material in wastewater has also increased during the same time period. A proposal to allow more housing in San Diego's low-density neighborhoods faces an uncertain future after the city's planning commission voted to oppose it yesterday. The policy is Mayor Tagloria's attempt to implement Senate Bill 10. It's a state law that allows cities to streamline the approval of up to 10 homes on lots that would otherwise be restricted to single-family homes. Barrio Logan resident Julie Corrales supported the measure because it would allow more people to live in exclusive white majority neighborhoods.
2: We do need to desegregate San Diego. My friends and neighbors
1: are living um, in crowded housing and underserved communities. Home ownership is out of our reach, um, so it is very much uh, a race issue. Mayor Gloria says he won't be taking SB 10 to the council, but will hold more workshops to try and craft a
2: compromise.
1: Coming up, Local politicians are being threatened.
2: It's a form of verbal terrorism designed to basically verbally beat your target into submission.
1: More on that story coming up after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
1: U.S.D. is expected to release its final report on threats against local elected officials any day now. Preliminary findings show politicians who are women are targeted more frequently than men. Investigative reporter Amitha Sharma spoke to women who've been threatened. A warning, the story contains graphic language.
3: You disgusting, fat pig. I hope they gut you like the slob that you are and hang you up to drip dry.
4: That is Chula Vista elementary school board member Kate Bishop reading a message she received on social media. She says threats like this intensify when she advocates for issues like closing the achievement gap between black and white students or being more inclusive of LGBTQ students and staff. He came up to me and
2: started saying, well you're b- and you are a dog on a leash and you're wrong shaking his finger in front of me.
4: You are wrong. That's former National City Mayor Alejandra Sotelo Solis recounting an attack from a man after a city council meeting in 2014. The experiences of Bishop and Sotelo Solis align with a recent USD poll aimed at gauging threats against local elected officials. The survey found 66% of male office holders reported being threatened or harassed, compared to 82% of their female counterparts and two-thirds of those polled said the intimidation has worsened since they first entered office. UC San Diego political science professor Barbara Walter said the election of former President Donald Trump in 2016 is a big reason for the jump.
2: President Trump was the first president who would vocalize violence as a legitimate tool. We know that that is increasing. It tracks with a rise in all sorts of other types of violent behavior and violent language that we have been seeing.
4: Walter says part of the current backlash against women politicians is tied to the far right. The white Christian element of the movement wants American society to revert back to a time when women were subservient to men.
2: They feel that women are not equal to men, that they should not be empowered to make decisions that could affect men. They don't even believe women should be empowered to make decisions about themselves. Men should be in charge.
4: More than half of San Diego elected officials in the USD poll say they've considered leaving office. Walter says that findings show's threats are working.
2: It's a form of verbal terrorism designed to basically verbally beat your target into submission.
4: Bishop and Sotelo Solis say the threats haven't driven them from public service, but they do seek accountability. Bishop contacts police when she receives severe threats. Sotelo Solis got a three-year restraining order against the man who berated her outside the council meeting in 2014. We've earned the ability to say this is wrong. And if we know that it's happened to us, then what is that person doing behind closed doors? Bishop says she has developed a thick skin, but it is still hard not to internalize the vitriol.
3: I'm a human being. For a second, it hits me hard. And I say, God, that's scary. When it's like really graphic or sexual, I usually talk to my husband, and then I realize that the person making the threat doesn't have the words to express their emotions healthily because our society isn't teaching boys how to be healthy.
4: Bishop believes expanded mental health care and teaching school children how to communicate without rancor are among the solutions to restoring civility in public discourse. Walter says any attempt to decrease threats against elected officials is incomplete unless social media platforms face tighter controls. Let
2: people put whatever they want on the internet regulate the algorithms that right now are all designed to disproportionately favor the most incendiary material, the stuff that triggers fear and anger and hate, because that's what our brains are designed to focus on more heavily.
4: Bishop says despite her experience, she encourages women to run for office and she coaches them on how to shield themselves from threats.
3: Keep your cool and keep your resolve to keep going.
4: Amita Sharma, KPBS News.
1: Speaking of local elected officials, the upcoming special primary election to fill Nathan Fletcher's vacant seat on the county's Board of Supervisors is less than two weeks away. Voting is now underway, but starting tomorrow, there'll be more ways to vote in the election. Here to fill us in is my colleague, Andrew Bowen. He's the Metro reporter at KPBS. Andrew, welcome to the San Diego News Now podcast.
5: Hi, Debbie. Thanks so much. So, Andrew, for anyone who doesn't know, what does a county supervisor do? Yeah, well, you know, to understand the county supervisor's job, you kind of have to also understand the county government's job. So in some ways... Uh, the county government is an extension of the government of the state of California. There are several programs funded and, and run by the state, such as uh, you know social welfare programs like food stamps, Medi-Cal, um, some housing assistance. And those things uh, are, in those instances or in in those programs, the county government essentially acts like a pass-through agency. It's just administering these uh, programs that are approved and adopted by the state or, in some cases, the federal government. Then it also has this other responsibility around uh, governing the unincorporated areas. So the county of San Diego has cities like San Diego, Lemon Grove, Encinitas, etc., um, and then it also has these areas that are outside the city limits but are still within San Diego County. Those communities, uh, for example, uh, Spring Valley or Valley Center or Bostonia, um, those areas don't have their own mayors. They don't have their own city councils. And so, uh, when questions arise like uh, zoning for a piece of land or uh, you know repairing streetlights, um, you know all of those sort of general things that that a, a local government does, um, those are all overseen by the five-member County Board of Supervisors.
1: And there are four candidates in the running. Can you give us a little bit of background on each of them?
5: Sure. So I'll first mention the one candidate who KPBS did not get an interview with. Uh, His name is Paul McQuig. He's a Republican. He has a very limited campaign presence and is, frankly, a political novice. Um, But I would say the one to beat in this election is Monica Montgomery Stepp. She is currently a San Diego City Council member. Uh, She's represented District 4, which includes most of Southeast San Diego since 2018. Uh, She is the only candidate who has actually won an election before. Uh, She's the only candidate with a voting record. She, uh, I would guess, has the highest name identification among voters, and that can play a really, you know, important role. If you've just heard somebody's name before, you're more likely to support them. Uh, And, you know, she also has some of the most important endorsements in this race, those being the San Diego County Democratic Party, which can spend a lot of money on her behalf and, you know, uh, trying to uh, get registered Democrats to turn out and vote for her. She's also won the endorsement of several labor unions that represent county employees. So uh, they definitely have an interest in you know, spending money in this race and getting their preferred candidate uh, elected. And um, voters in this area um, have probably get, been getting a lot of mailers. And a lot of those are funded by these independent expenditure committees uh, that are that are separate from the candidate campaign uh, itself. Uh, KPBS spoke with Monica Montgomery step And here's a bit of that interview.
3: My highest priorities will be housing and homelessness. The county really has an infrastructure to deal with uh, homelessness in a holistic way. Uh, they have uh, behavioral health services, mental health services, family resources. In addition, they have resources for military and, and veterans. They also you know, have resources for folks that are coming out of our criminal legal system.
5: The other Democrat in this race is Janessa Goldbeck. She's a Marine veteran. She is also the CEO of a nonprofit that advocates for veterans and and encourages them to participate in in politics. And uh, she may be familiar to some voters because she actually ran for Congress in 2020. She didn't make it past the primary. Um, She has been campaigning for this seat even since before Nathan Fletcher resigned. She, you know, uh, presumably initially thought she'd be running in uh, 2026 when this seat was up for uh, re-election, but uh, that election came sooner. Uh, And she has uh, also received several uh, uh, high-profile endorsements, mainly from political leaders, um, including uh, Congressman Scott Peters, uh, Tony Atkins, the uh, state senator who represents most of San Diego County. And here's a bit of what Janessa Goldbeck told KPBS in our interview.
3: Politicians keep telling San Diegans that things are going to get better, and in fact, they're getting worse. The homelessness crisis is exploding. It's more and more expensive to live here. Our rents are the third highest in the nation. So it's really important to me that we focus on those issues in particular, homelessness, the cost of living, and public safety.
5: The last candidate I'll mention is the Republican who has actually been endorsed by the county Republican Party, and that's Amy Reichert. Uh, She uh, founded an organization called Reopen San Diego. They advocated against a lot of the COVID-19 restrictions that the county had imposed uh, in the early months and years of the pandemic, also against uh, vaccine mandates. So requiring, say, county employees to get vaccinated for COVID-19, that was something she spoke out uh, against quite forcefully. And here is a bit of our interview with her.
4: Whether I'm speaking with someone who is a Democrat a Republican, no party preference. Everyone is very concerned about the humanitarian crisis that has become something that is alarming to everyone. It's it's never been this bad and people are dying on our streets.
1: So tell us how people can vote in this election.
5: So if you are a registered voter in District 4, you should have already received a mail ballot. Uh, You can fill out that mail ballot at home and uh, drop it at one of the drop boxes. Uh, They're scattered all across the district. Uh, You can look them up online at at sdvote.com. You mentioned earlier also there will be vote centers that are opening up. So you can go in person to one of those vote centers and cast your ballot in person. Of course, you can always uh, drop the mail ballot in a mailbox. Uh, Regardless of how you cast your ballot, however, just make sure to do it before the deadline of August 15th.
1: I've been speaking with KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. Andrew, thank you for joining us on the San Diego News Now podcast.
5: Yeah, thank you, Debbie.
1: Coming up, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, we have some ideas. We'll have that and more just after the break.
0: APBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community, and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.
1: A former UCSD researcher has been awarded a multimillion-dollar settlement after a jury found the university liable for retaliation. Education reporter M.G. Perez has more.
0: In 2015, Dr. Kevin Murphy was a prominent pediatric oncologist and researcher at UC San Diego when one of his patients, who was a local philanthropist, died of cancer. The man donated $10 million specifically for Murphy's experimental treatment of brain disorders in children and adults. He sued the UC for misallocating the donation money, and university regents then countersued him for fraud after firing him. Murphy says his victory was necessary to protect future whistleblowers.
2: I think the goal is to make an example of someone like me, and that, of course, affects anybody else that wants to raise their hand and say, I'm I'm seeing a problem here.
0: UC San Diego Regents did not respond to KPBS for comment. M.G. Perez, KPBS News.
1: Logan Heights restaurants are hoping people from outside the neighborhood will venture in for food and fun at the Taste of Imperial event today. Reporter Katie Heisen spoke with one of the business owners participating in the event. Okay.
6: Empanadas. Empanadas are Javier Rodriguez's specialty at Antojitos Colombianos in Logan Heights.
1: Did you come to the restaurant, you don't taste empanada? I think you're losing something good.
6: (laughs) He wants others to sample the flavors of the community and get to know what it's really like. A lot of people don't know Logan, Logan Heights and they think it's like a scary area. Logan Heights has been historically separated from the rest of San Diego, first by redlining and then by freeway construction. The predominantly Latino neighborhood was disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And digital and language access barriers caused many of the area's restaurants to miss out on small business aid. The Logan Heights Community Development Corporation is putting on Taste of Imperial to help continue post-pandemic recovery and celebrate the neighborhood's identity, which Development Director Natasha Salgado says is one of resilience. You think of all of the horrible things that could happen to a community, segregated housing, redlining, yet, we're still here. You can taste Rodriguez's empanadas and the offerings of a dozen other businesses Friday evening on Imperial Avenue. Katie Heisen, KPBS News.
1: And before we go, we have recommendations from Julia Dixon-Evans on arts events to check out this weekend. First, the Phantom of the Opera opens at the Palomar College Theater today. In April, the musical ended its 35-year run on Broadway. It was the longest-running show in the history of Broadway. If you're not familiar with the musical, it's about a phantom who lives under a Parisian opera house and becomes obsessed with an actress. It will be performed at the Howard Brubeck Theater at Palomar College in San Marcos at 7 tonight and tomorrow and 2 p.m. on Sunday. It will run the same times next weekend. If you enjoy watching dance performances, Julia recommends watching movement artists, Giovanna Francisco in action. She's currently in residence at Art Produce in North Park. She'll perform in the garden at Art Produce tomorrow at 7 p.m. Her performance is called Nectar. It's a dance inspired by the creatures in the garden. For more info on these events and others, visit kpbs.org arts. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by KPBS producer Emmeline Mohebi and edited by KPBS senior producer Brooke Ruth. We'd like to thank KPBS reporter Eric Anderson and KPBS editors Joe Guerin and Nick McVicker for helping the podcast team this week. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.